After 25 years, does the HIV epidemic continue? And to what extent? Welcome. You're listening to a special segment on healthcare policy on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and joining me today is Dr. David Hardy. Dr. Hardy is Director of the Division of Infectious Disease at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center, Associate Professor of Medicine in Residence at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. Thank you very much, Dr. Hardy, for joining us. My pleasure. Glad to be here. To begin with, could you tell me what was the significance of the recent CDC's statistics on HIV incidents? The main thing I think was most concerning about that was that it looked like the CDC had for lack of the best technology being used, had underestimated by about 40% the number of new cases of Americans becoming infected with HIV. And this wasn't just for the single year that they had gone through of 2006, but actually back for probably about the last eight or nine years. What were the numbers that they now reported? Well, specifically, the numbers had increased from an estimate of around 40,000 per year, which is what the CDC had been telling us for the past 10 years, as far as number of new cases of Americans becoming infected with HIV, to an increase of over 56,000 cases per year, a full 40% increase over what they had previously been telling us. What did they attribute this pretty significant statistical difference? The major increase was due to a technological improvement in the assay that they've been using. They are now using an assay at their multiple sentinel sites around the U.S., which they use to monitor the HIV epidemic. And this new assay is actually able to be able to discriminate between new cases of HIV, meaning those that occur within the past six months, and cases that occurred earlier than that time. So this new assay was really able to shine the light on the new cases of HIV infection. Could you tell me what this new assay is and what is the significance of a recent case and an older case? The assay is really not a new one. It's actually an older assay that has been somewhat tossed aside because it actually was too sensitive. It's called a detuned ELISA. The detuned ELISA test is one that is overly sensitive. It perhaps errs on the side of being perhaps creating false positives, but it also allows once the test case is in fact found to be confirmed, it can discriminate with great specificity whether that case occurred within the past six months or later than that because of the fact that the HIV antibodies which it detects evolve over time. So this test called the detuned ELISA is one that has been used in research studies to detect new cases of HIV for research studies. And in this way, it was being used for epidemiologic measures as well. How quickly do the results come back with this test? This test is not a rapid test. It's a test that's done usually in batches in a laboratory in the standard sort of 96-well ELISA format in which samples are taken from sites around the United States in which there's a suspicion of HIV infection in different populations, and basically they batch these and use them. usually takes about at least four to six hours to run the test, but they're usually not done for diagnostic purposes. These tests are simply done for purposes of trying to track the epidemic. Then I must be confused. Isn't there a new test that takes minutes and actually even saliva as well as blood can determine it? There are some oral tests that are being used now for rapid personal patient identification, right? Those tests which actually don't test saliva, but what they do is they run a little pallet over the inside of someone's buccal mucosa or along the gingiva surfaces and actually pick up antibodies from those surfaces are excreted in the mouth. So those tests actually can be done as fast as 10 to 20 minutes in terms of results. 
those are not the kind of tests that are being done through the CDC for these purposes. Those tests are done if someone wants to find out if they're positive rapidly. They're used particularly in emergency departments and also in situations where a woman is coming in to have a baby and has never had an HIV test and is tested at the time of delivery so that the results can come back very rapidly and something can be done to intervene in that delivery. Well, we'll come back to that. But while we're talking about this underestimation of the incidence, within that number, how did it break down as far as minority groups, genders? Was there anything else that caught your attention and other people who are involved in the treatment of HIV-AIDS? There were some, I think, very uh, concerning statistics in terms of the demographics of those persons who are being diagnosed as newly HIV-infected in the past eight to nine years. As has been the character of the epidemic for the entirety of the past 27 years, the majority of these persons are male. 70% of them are male. 60% of them are, in fact, classified as men who have sex with men. The majority of the racial breakdown is, in fact, primarily African-American, followed by Latino-Hispanic, and then followed by uh, Caucasian and then uh, Pacific Islanders and Native Americans, Alaska Natives, as the smallest affected group. But the thing that was really the most concerning here was that the decreases, the trending down of new cases of AIDS that have been seen in many groups of individuals, particularly uh, high-risk heterosexual individuals who become infected by that route of transmission, injection drug users, continues to go down. The thing most concerning is that since the mid-90s, there has been a significant increase in the number of new cases among men who have sex with men, indicating that the prevention message has really not been getting out there. The other concerning statistic was that in terms of age groups, the majority, over 30 of the new cases are occurring among individuals between the ages of 13 and 29, adolescents and young adults, individuals who have really not been getting the message about the problem with HIV epidemic and AIDS. If you're just joining us, you're listening to a special segment on health care policy on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and we're talking today with Dr. David Hardy, Director of the Division of Infectious Disease at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center and an Associate Professor of Medicine at the School of Medicine at UCLA. Well, it's interesting that the people who practice high-risk heterosexual activity as well as drug users are going down. Are they getting the message? Before we go to the people who aren't getting the message, does it have something to do with needle exchanges, which has certainly been controversial in the United States? That's a good question. I think the concern here is that the message that's being put out by our major federally funded prevention organization, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC for short, in Atlanta, has been really somewhat limited in the kind of information they've been able to put out there. They have been following a protocol of primarily the ABCs, meaning abstinence from sex, be faithful, meaning monogamous to the partner or single partner, and condoms as the third and tertiary way of actually preventing HIV. For individuals who are heterosexual and are concerned about procreation and pregnancy, that, in fact, can make some sense because that's another added incentive about having safe sex. For individuals who are not concerned about procreation, particularly men who have sex with men, that kind of approach really doesn't hit home. It doesn't make sense. And in large part, it's good news that the persons who became infected through injection drug use, perhaps through some needle exchange programs in sentinel areas around the country, and heterosexuals have been alerted to this. That's very good news. I'm glad to see those cases actually starting to come down. The bad news is that the program that the CDC has been putting out really hasn't been targeting the individuals who are probably at the highest risk for this, and that is young men 
primarily African-American and Hispanic, who are having sex with other men. And that's lacking in the way that our federal program has been working there. The president administration has gotten a lot of credit because of PEPFAR, the U.S. Presidential Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, which is our global attempt to bring this epidemic under control. The ABCs that you have mentioned are supposedly being loosened, shall we say, that the emphasis on abstention is being toned down or more money is going into prevention in this global approach. Will we see that happen in the United States? That's a great question. You know, the President's Program for AIDS Relief in Africa and other parts of the world is, is a wonderful program, and it's something that certainly all of us want to continue to support because of the huge problem this pandemic has had around the world. I think some of the problem, especially that this new CDC statistics tell us, is that we need a national PEPFAR. We need something to actually focus some of those energies on what's going on here in the United States. One of the saddest statistics I've heard at the recent International AIDS Conference was that if the African-American community affected by HIV in the United States was tallied up as an individual nation, that group of people would be qualified as a PEPFAR nation right here in the United States. Something that I find really concerning because of the fact that while our president administration has seen fit to send money away from our United States to combat AIDS, they have done very little in terms of putting money right here at home, where the problem is actually much more dramatically increasing than once we thought before. Yeah, as part of that same conference, I was struck that if you look at African Americans in the United States, there are more African Americans suffering with AIDS than seven out of the 15 countries that are part of PEPFAR. That's very true. Even our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., has one of the highest prevalence rates of HIV infection per capita than many countries that are getting PEPFAR in Africa. Again, a real testament to the fact that we've been looking away in terms of the epidemic, in terms of its funding for prevention, than looking towards our own backyard. The other statistic that came from that conference was that 4% of the $23 billion we spent this year are on prevention. And if you factor in inflation, prevention is only 5% more in 2006 than it was in 1990. And I think, again, does this mean that we need a PEPFAR in the United States? Well, I think we need something in the same lines of a PEPFAR, but probably the better way to call it would be a national HIV-AIDS strategy or plan. Since the beginning of this epidemic in 1981, since the CDC has been tracking it, there has never been a federally sponsored national HIV-AIDS plan or strategy how to handle this epidemic. Unlike countries like Brazil, United Kingdom, Canada, Mexico, all those countries have put together a national AIDS strategy, and in doing so, have really been able to bring down the numbers of HIV in their countries. The United States has just not done that, and it's a real lacking. Well, why do you think African Americans, who only make up 12% of our population, actually represent 45% of new cases? You know, that's a very complex question for which there is no, I think, one simple answer. As many people always talk about in medicine, it's multifactorial, meaning that there are probably several socioeconomic factors, the fact that perhaps there is a greater concentration of African Americans in certain urban areas, or perhaps injection drug use, or perhaps infractions in the law and prison time, where HIV transmission is also very high. 
this is something that is not really clear. There is a hypothesis, and I underscore the word hypothesis here, that there may be a genetic hypersusceptibility among Africans or persons of African descent to HIV. It's called a Duffy antigen. A British researcher hypothesized this, and it may say that a antigen that protects people from malaria and helps them survive that disease may actually make them more susceptible to HIV. Whether this is really true or not has yet to be fully worked out, but I think it's probably socioeconomic. I think it's probably cultural. I think it may even be genetic. Who knows? Today we've been talking about the very alarming underestimation of the incidence of HIV in the United States. There are multiple reasons. There are certainly minority groups that are being affected way out of proportion to the general population. I want to thank Dr. David Hardy, who is director of the Division of Infectious Disease at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center and also an associate professor of medicine at the Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. I want to thank you all for listening to this special segment on health care policy. You've been listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host. To listen to our on-demand library, visit us at ReachMD.com. If you have comments or suggestions, call us at 888-MD-XM-157. Thank you for listening.